Welcome everyone. It's a good day to be in God's Word. I'm Joe Van Hoogen and this is the Bread of Life. Our program is presented by the International Disciple Making Ministry Church Partnership Evangelism and its associate church, Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. Let me encourage you to learn more about the amazing work we're doing around the world. You can follow all the links on our webpage, breadoflifeboise.org. Now let's turn our focus to our topic for today, which is the assurance of the Holy Spirit that we are true born-again Christians. We want you to know that you have eternal life. God wants you to know this most of all, but it cannot be an assurance that speaks against the demonstrated truth of your life. Those God saves, God changes, and the changes are experiences you can see and you can test. There is at salvation also an experience that finds its way into our lives. It's subjective. I encounter it. I experience it. The Bible offers this to me. God gives it to me as a part of my assurance. I am awakened. We talked about that. And in the awakening that God gives me, I seek to find an answer for my sins. And how does a person who is spiritually blind and spiritually dead and actually spiritually repressing the truth of God so that he doesn't know God and he doesn't understand God and he doesn't seek to remedy his situation? How does this person ever awaken if God doesn't awaken him? But if you've come to Jesus Christ and received him as your Savior, you have in your testimony a story of a moment when in a flash or over a period of time, God began to awaken you so that you sought a remedy for your sin. And that's the work of God in your life. It's a subjective experience. God also calls you to repentance and God gives you the gift of repentance. And so there comes a time in this moment in which we come to salvation in which we take up. What we said is we take up God's argument against ourselves and it becomes our own argument. And so we turn against ourselves something that was not in our instinct to do. Something that's not in the fallen human nature to do, but we stand against ourselves and we say we're sinful. And we agree with God that we're sinners. We not only agree that we're sinners, but we agree with God that our sins are serious and they weren't God's everlasting judgment and wrath. We also agree with God that all of our attempts at righteousness are futile and useless and worse than that, that they themselves are corrupt and they leave us, even our self-righteousness, leaves us guilty before God and deserving of His punishment. And we also, in this repentance, realize that we are not the source, although we've taught ourselves and believed this and held to it, we are not the source of our own satisfaction. We are not the ones who will determine what pleases us and ever deliver satisfaction or wholeness in our lives. That's what repentance is. No man comes to this naturally. God grants us the gift of repentance. And if you've come to Jesus Christ, there's another experience of salvation. You'll remember when he granted you that repentance and how since that day he's renewed you in that repentance. That repentance didn't come alone. When it came, it also came as you turned from yourself. It came with the gift of faith where you not only took up God's argument against yourself, but you took up God's argument for yourself. And in the place of your sinfulness, you saw that he'd offered you his sinless son to be your savior. And in the place of the seriousness of your sins, you saw that this sinless son became the sacrifice for that sin so that he who knew no sin became sin for you. And in the place of your self-righteousness that was actually a sentence against you and cried out against you because it was impure, you saw that he who knew no sin 
became sin for you in order that through him you might be made the righteousness of God in him. He gave you his righteousness. He was the solution and argument for your righteousness. Christ, my righteousness. That's faith. And you also saw in him one who has Lord of your life would be the center and solution for all your satisfaction. He was the only one who would please and satisfy you. And so you were willing to let go of yourself and you were willing to confess your sins and you were willing to let go of your claim of righteousness because you knew you couldn't satisfy yourself, but he could. And you believed in him. Maybe it didn't quite feel that way when you gave your life to Christ, but if you look back, you'll see that. You'll see an awakening. You'll see a repentance. You'll see a gift of faith. And not only that, when these things happen, you'll see that your whole being turned into it. Your whole body turned to Christ so that you converted to him. You answered the call of the Lord Jesus that if anyone would be my disciple, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And you began from that day haltingly and with struggles and trials, you began to follow him. You turned your life over to him. To take my life, let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. That's conversion. That's another thing that takes place in our salvation. So these things that you look at are sources of great encouragement and assurance to yourself. They're the objective realities of your salvation. And it didn't just stop with things that happened in the past. It's consistently, presently updating itself. Because you were awakened and you repented and you believed and you turned into Christ, you were regenerated. You were brought into the life of regeneration and you were born again and you became a new person, which means that literally a regenerate person is someone who has God coming and abiding within them and making them a whole new person or being. And that's what we've been talking about for the last few weeks. And uh, this work of regeneration, this new man produced in you a life that you couldn't produce on your own. It made you to be something and to do something, to live in some way that you could not have produced naturally. And this is the man. This, you have the genetic markers of God's life in you if you've given your life to him. And it's evidenced in your life. And that's what First John is about. First John is about talking about the genetic markers of a regenerate man. There, John tells us that you find yourself loving God and loving the people of God. And you find yourself loving God's word and wanting, increasingly wanting and moving in obedience to God's will and God's way. And you also find yourself granted with a discernment over God's truth. So you don't need that any one person should come and be the expert that delineates truth to you. The Spirit of God who wrote this book is living in you. It brings it to life in you. You have discernment. You see... John wrote to give assurance of salvation, but he didn't offer it to them simply because they believed something to be true or because they prayed a prayer or because they raised a hand at a meeting or walked an aisle. He points to the work of regeneration that the true act of saving faith produces in the life. So there. Do you see these markers? Be encouraged. And oh, they were wonderfully, they were wonderfully encouraged. I want to add one more level of encouragement or insurance to the Christian man or woman. God so wonderfully takes this objective truth and allows it to become a part of our subjective experience in a number of different ways in order to bring to assurance to us. And added to this awakening and this repentance and this faith and this conversion and this regenerate life, he brings to us one other experience that I want to point out to you. It's the witness of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit witnesses to us that we've been born of God. Let me read to you Romans 
8, 13 through 16 again. For if we live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. I want you to focus on verse 16. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit. But first, let's just notice a couple of things. The first thing I want you to notice here is that, as we mentioned earlier, there is a battle against the flesh that is being waged by the spirit of a man. The born-again person has a new nature that is at odds with sin. Sin remains roiling in his flesh, but this new man, in the spirit, not in the flesh, is opposed He is opposed to his flesh. This battle against him is something that we viscerally feel as we drive against our sin in our flesh. So much so that the emotional angst of this battle can be expressed in the cry of Paul, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this flesh, this body that roils with sin? I'm opposed to it. I'm against it. That's what's being described here. This is the point at which Verses 13 through 16 of Romans chapter 8 come to us. Chapter 6 of Romans begins to introduce to us the life of the regenerate man. Chapter 7 shows us the battle of the regenerate man. Chapter 8 shows us the victory that comes to the regenerate man through the Holy Spirit, giving us triumph over these things. But you know, when we battle with these things, there are times in which we can feel almost condemned by the appetites of our flesh. What we need to know and understand is that through Jesus Christ, there's victory that's been given to us, so there's no condemnation. There's no condemnation because we feel this battle, this pulsation of the flesh coming against us. Instead, what we're to do is we're to cooperate with the Holy Spirit that lives within us, and we're seek to put to death the works and the actions of our flesh by the power of the Holy Spirit. But I just want you to notice here that the witness of the Spirit comes to those who are opposing their own fleshly passions by the greater power or passion of the Spirit of God dwelling and living within them. And they come against it in their spirit, and by the Spirit they come against it to put to death the deeds that are done in their flesh. I think, by the way, there's real promise here for the Christian. Because we have and we occupy the high ground against the impulses of our flesh. We stand at the high ground in this battle, and we operate this battle with the Spirit fortifying and empowering us to wage the war against what our flesh longs for and demands because sin still resides in it. It's very encouraging to us. But it's in this battle that this word and witness of the Spirit comes to us. The second thing I want you to notice here is that those who fight this battle against the flesh are not fighting in fear that they will lose their salvation. They're not fighting in fear that they will lose their salvation or that they will come under some final judgment. They are not acting in fear because they're afraid that they haven't gained something. They're not trying to win something to themselves. They're acting in power because something that they've already gained. They're not trying to earn their salvation by fighting the impulses of the flesh. No. Their salvation has made them the sons of God so that they are not under the bondage of fear. See? They've been made the sons of God and therefore this battle against the flesh is their birthright. It's a part of the family calling. 
I was called, you were called, and I realize this calling when I give my life to Christ. I was called to fight the flesh. The old songwriters knew it. They would write songs like, Soldiers of Christ, arise and put your armor on. They would write, Onward Christian soldiers, marching as to war with the cross of Jesus, going on before. And I guarantee you, they were not fighting against their societies. They were fighting against their flesh. And they were armed. And they recognized it. And it was their birthright. And they weren't slavishly trying to beat back the flesh, afraid that they were going to lose their salvation. They weren't fighting back the flesh, trying to somehow gain their salvation. The person who knew this grace of salvation through Jesus Christ alone, through the power of the Spirit, went out as the birthright of their salvation to fight against this fleshly impulse. That's the other thing I'd have you notice. But third, notice this that it is actually when we are in this battle that the voice of the Spirit brings us a witness of assurance. It's in the midst of this battle that the Spirit witnesses with our spirit that we are born of God. It's as if Paul is saying, your spirit says that you are God's child, and God's Spirit shouts out right next to you that you are God's child. The Spirit witnesses with our spirit. In this case, it's not to our spirit. They're both speaking the same thing, that we're born of God. By the way, what is your spirit? What is your spirit? It's the thing that tells you that you are you. It's that part of you that is self-aware. When your body goes into the grave, your spirit will still go on giving you self-awareness. The Bible Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about the Bread of Life ministry, go to breadoflifeboise.org. There you can also contact us with requests for this or other messages. Please join us in our next broadcast. Until then, may God bless you.